And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Wednesday, the 20th of September. I'm Michael Bailey, and today we're asking... What happened on day one of the Champions League? It would be easy for Newcastle to be overawed, and I don't think they were. They're outplayed but not outmatched. How does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer reflect on his time at Manchester United? He admits himself that a trophy was missing, and that's significant. And is Julian Nagelsmann paving the way for Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool exit? The speculation will start now, really. I've seen it already in a few German newspapers saying, oh, OK, 2024, it's Klopp time. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Michael Bailey. This season's Champions League is up and running. Not so much with a bang, but we did get a goalkeeper scoring a 95th minute equaliser. Ivan Providel heading Lazio to a 1-1 draw at home to Atletico Madrid. More routine were Manchester City's 3-1 home win over Sven Zvezda, who you might know better as Red Star Belgrade, and Barcelona thrashing Royal Antwerp 5-0. RB Leipzig and Porto also won. Feyenoord beat Celtic, who played the final 22 minutes with only nine men, and Paris Saint-Germain beat Borussia Dortmund 2-0, make a fast start in Group F, which was kicked off by Newcastle United's goalless draw with AC Milan. It was Newcastle's Champions League return after 20 years away, and senior writer at The Athletic, George Colkin, spent the night with the travelling Geordie fans. So the final whistle went at the San Siro maybe five minutes ago. First game back in the Champions League proper for 20 years, and blimey, what an occasion, what an experience, what a... Back to the world performance that had to be, but just brilliant. You get a sense of magnitude in this place, obviously, but for Newcastle fans, there was a magnitude to the occasion as well. The noise was extraordinary, stadium full of flares. I think the thing that I take away from it is, A, it's a very, very useful uh, point on the road, and I don't think it'll be 20 years before Newcastle are back here again. Decent start. So, a great occasion for Newcastle. Not a great game, though. Jacob Whitehead writes about Newcastle for The Athletic. Jacob, it was all Milan in the first half. Then Newcastle looked much more comfortable in the second. What changed? Really good tactical game plan from Milan in that Calabria, the fullback who has been tucking inside in previous games, actually kept his width. And Mike Maignan, the goalkeeper, is really good at distribution. And Pioli knew that how almost one of his trademarks is he likes to have these really narrow wingers both in attack and defence so Gordon and Murphy were almost level with the edge of the area and Maignan just sort of it's 
I've learned tonight it was called a wedge pass, almost like you're hitting a golf wedge and just chipping it over to fullbacks to get them. They, that meant that the midfielder had to pull out to cover them and created loads of space for Milan in midfield. Now, what changed? Part of it's Newcastle having Anthony Gordon, who managed to draw Calabria into a yellow card. He got taken off, and that attack went a bit. Maignan, of course, also went off injury. But also, I think Newcastle just kind of settled into the game a bit. Sean Longstaff, in particular, I thought really grew into proceedings, particularly because Tonali was quite muted on his return. But, I mean, you say, Michael, it's not a great game, but Newcastle fans, I imagine that will just have completely passed from by in the sense that it's less sort of just over 18 months since they're in the relegation zone at Christmas and now an away point at San Siro. I can't imagine anyone's not taking that. That's very true. And and this is a great group, isn't it? Newcastle, Milan, Borussia Dortmund, Paris Saint-Germain. And that in a way makes this opening point that much better of a start, doesn't it? Completely. I mean, sort of the rule is... Well, win your home games, draw your away games. It's their first... It would be easy for Newcastle to be overawed, and I don't think they were. They're outplayed but not outmatched. Newcastle know that their calling card will be how they perform at home in the atmosphere at St James's Park. This is a team who's not really used at all to this travelling going Tuesday, Saturday. They've kind of ticked that first away game off now. It's almost slight... Eddie Howell have said it won't have been a distraction, but this will have been something hanging over them in previous week. Now it's gone, and it's not gone badly. You can really sort of start to attack the competition. Thanks, Jacob. Next up for Newcastle, it's Sheffield United, followed by Burnley, before PSG arrive at St James's Park. The opening Champions League fun continues this evening. Arsenal are fourth favourites to win the thing. They've got PSG Eindhoven at the Emirates, Italian champions Napoli head to Braga and Real Madrid host Bundesliga darlings Union Berlin. It's unlikely Bayern Munich have been called that, but they're in action too. They host crisis-flirting Manchester United at the Allianz Arena. And the perfect build-up to that game, you could say, would be reading The Athletic's exclusive and wide-ranging interview with former United boss Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Andy Mitten is on the way to Munich for the game, fresh from interviewing Solskjaer, and he joins us now. Andy, trepidation isn't a word we'd normally associated with United, but is there a bit of that ahead of facing Bayern? Yes, there is, because Manchester United have started the season poorly, and Bayern Munich are one of the best teams in the world. United have never won at the Allianz Arena, even the the greater sides of Manchester United. So there is trepidation. A couple of thousand fans will go. It's, it's going to be very difficult. I was quite optimistic going into this season after the pre-season tour of the United States, which I went on. But United have been poor, poor at home, poor away, three defeats, two wins at home. And that's not what is expected. At the same time, we've had your interview with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer go out on The Athletic. What were the key topics that struck you from that and from your conversation with him? Well, first of all, it's his first big interview since leaving Manchester United nearly two years ago. So I think that's significant. To get him talking about Manchester United, I was very curious, said a lot of questions. What went right? What went wrong? I asked him about players. What's it like working under the Glazers? Talk me through that night in Paris. In fact, both those nights in Paris, about your style of football. You know, are you tactically astute or not? And I felt he needed to be honest and to talk, and and he did do. I spoke to him for, for well over an hour, and I found him engaging. I found him very interesting and I hope that the people who read the interview have, have, a, have a similar view. They don't have to agree with everything he says and nor do I. But it was good to get him on the record 
And I also think he's ready to come back into football. And he said that on the record for the first time. Is there an element that he's missing United or are United supporters maybe missing him? It's quite a tricky time at the moment. It is a tricky time. And I think his his record stands up. He admits himself that a trophy was missing and that's significant. But it went over a year unbeaten away from home. What Manchester United will give for that type of record right now? And he defends some of his decisions, some some of his football. He admits some of his mistakes as well and talks about where he got wrong, decisions he made. I was, I was intrigued in his angles on Cristiano Ronaldo, for example. And I don't think there's a groundswell of opinion saying we want Ole Gunnar Solskjaer back as manager because that, that simply isn't true. But yeah, he does miss football. He's turned offers down, really lucrative offers. I think he's just waiting for the right one. But he is going to start working in football this week, going to games as a technical observer. And I, I think that's a good idea for him. It, it would be a great shame if he just didn't do anything with all that knowledge base he's got. Thanks, Andy. You can watch United, Arsenal and everyone else involved in Champions League action. All tonight's games are on TNT Sport in the UK and Paramount Plus in the US. I quite like the look of Real Sociedad against Inter Milan, personally. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. There's no Liverpool in this season's Champions League, of course, but they've still found themselves in the news. Germany will appoint Julian Nagelsmann as their head coach up to Euro 2024, which is hosted by Germany. However, it will be someone else after that, and all suggestions point to current Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp. Our Bundesliga writer, Raphael Honigstein, is here. First things first, Rafa. How's the reaction been to Nagelsmann? Well, it hasn't come as a huge surprise because he's been the name that everyone has been mentioned ever since Hansi Flick got fired. He's the most charismatic of uh, choices as far as German managers concerned on the market. Of course, there are others like Klopp, like Tuchel, but they're not available at the moment. So uh, Nagelsmann was always, I think, the number one contender. Uh, there was a big question mark whether they could find an agreement, especially in financial terms, but ultimately... German FA and him came to an agreement. So one down, one to go. Can we take from this that after Euro 2024, Germany do hope to appoint Jürgen Klopp? I mean, Germany have been hoping to appoint Jürgen Klopp for many, many years. But the fact that the next manager is only there for 10 months and we know already that he's going to leave at the Euros, unless, of course, he changes his mind sometime through his existing contract, which is not impossible, then Klopp will come into contention and... The speculation will start now, really. I've seen it already in a few German newspapers saying, oh, okay, 2024, it's clock time, etc. Um, the German FA are in a position where the vice chairman is Hans-Joachim Watzke, who used to be a Borussia Dortmund uh, CEO when Klopp was there, of course, and he would love nothing more than to get his buddy uh, on board for the German national team, and they're going to try very hard to see if they can sway Klopp. Germany are in a bit of a funk right now, Rafa. How big a job has Nagelsmann got on his hands here? It's a huge job. It's the Euros on home soil, a big pressure to not just do reasonably well, but to perhaps even go to the final. I think that should be the minimum requirement, maybe semi-final that we're talking about. And of course, after the last few tournaments, that's not something that you can take for granted. But in a way, it makes Nagelsmann's job a little bit easier because... He's starting from such a low base. I think Nagelsmann would have seen the chances, the opportunity, rather than the risk. And I think that's why he's agreed to come in on a short-term basis when 
perhaps the job on paper isn't really what he was after and what would seem the most logical choice for a player for a, for a coach who's only 36. But in terms of his technical ability, his uh, expertise, his knowledge, I think it's going to be a pretty safe choice for Germany doing a very good job. Thanks, Rafa. And with that, we're done. Thanks for listening. I've been Michael Bailey. Your producers were Abby Patterson and Mike Zimmerman and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. Make sure you stay up to date on all things football by hitting the follow button on your podcast app of choice and tell your friends about us too. Have a cracking day and I'll be back with you tomorrow. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.